You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Our text this Easter Sunday comes from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I'll read it to you. Fix my rug here. This is a story from Luke's gospel following the resurrection of Christ, where two of his disciples are walking down a road, uh, the road to Emmaus, as it's called. And they're reminiscing as they walk along about Jesus and all that took place in Jerusalem over the last few days regarding his arrest and his execution. Suddenly, they're joined. These two men are joined by a stranger on the road. And let's read about this paranormal encounter now in Luke 24. Now, on that same day, meaning the same day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And talking with each other about all these things that had just happened in Jerusalem, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there? these last few days. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The word of the Lord. I love how this story ends. As soon as they recognize that this stranger is, in fact, Jesus, he vanishes from their sight. Poof! (laughs) As if to heighten the drama or the mystery here. But this is what ghosts do right? As soon as you see them, poof, they're gone. At least that's what I've heard. I've never seen a ghost myself. I hope to one day. Uh, But the Emmaus Road encounter is a ghost story. This is a good old-fashioned ghost story. And it's been traditionally interpreted over the years to be about what what does it mean to rightly discern the resurrection? What does it mean to rightly discern the risen Christ. The story is focused on the disciples' discernment and how they go from total disbelief and despair to recognizing that Jesus is present with them. The central question is, how do you discern the risen Christ? How do you discern the resurrection? What does it mean to you 
This is the question. This is the question that matters. And truth be told, it doesn't have a single answer. There are many possible different interpretations of the resurrection. There always has been, and there always will be. But no matter how one interprets it, it seems to me, our understanding needs to be life-giving and liberating and hopeful. After all, this is about new life. But even that leaves a lot of room for variety. I think it's important to remember that the various meanings of Jesus' death and resurrection that we find in the New Testament and in the writings of the early church for the first few centuries, and actually throughout the Middle Ages, all of these different understandings were created decades and even centuries after Jesus was gone. Starting, of course, with the Apostle Paul, right? And his epistles. And then the writers of the four Gospels, who, by the way, were not the original disciples of Jesus, who bore the names Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those books were given those names in the second century, almost 100 years after they were written. And hardly any scholar today believes those books were written by the actual disciples who bear those names. We don't really know who wrote those books. Suffice to say, it was early Christians. All this is to say that the various interpretations the church ascribed to Jesus' death and resurrection was not given to us by Jesus himself. He didn't write anything down. But it was given to us by the church by the church of the first few centuries, the first three or four centuries. And this church debated and wrestled with the meaning of Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. And I point this out merely to say that the question posed by us in this story this morning, this paranormal encounter on the road to Emmaus, this ghost story, the question posed to us, how does one rightly discern the resurrection? Who is the risen Christ to you? Such a question has always been debated, entertained, and wrestled with in the church. In a sense, we are all the unnamed disciple walking with Cleopas on that day. In fact, tradition holds that this is why the writer of Luke's gospel left that other disciple nameless, anonymous. The meaning is, we are all this other unnamed mysterious, mysterious disciple. Therefore, we too must decide, who is the risen Christ to us? Do we recognize him? We must discern for ourselves the meaning of the resurrection. For some Christians, the resurrection signifies Jesus' triumph over Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness. For others, it signifies Jesus' triumph over sin and the promise that we too can overcome our moral shortcomings by appealing to a higher power. For others, it signifies Jesus' triumph over death and mortality. And the promise that we too shall overcome death and live forever. 
For others, it signifies the age to come, the world to come when God shall make all things new. Not just us, we're told, but the entire cosmos. Still for others, the meaning of the resurrection is that it signified the indomitable power of love, which is the meaning I like the most and the one I'm going to focus on here today. Jesus stood up against the oppressive forces of his world, both the Roman and the religious authorities of first century Israel. He stood against them. He stood up against their exploitation and oppression of the poor and the vulnerable and thereby incurred their wrath. And for this, he died. He died for love, for liberation and justice. The meaning of the resurrection, therefore, is, to me at least, just this. Love wins, which was a popular title Rob Bell put out years ago. Love is the most powerful force in the world, even more powerful than the Roman Empire. That, to me, is the meaning of the resurrection, the most profound meaning. Love is even more powerful than the Roman Empire. Even more powerful than the priests and the scribes and the temple and all the machinations of organized institutional religion that condemned Jesus to death, love is even more powerful than that. Love is the name above all names. There is nothing greater or more powerful in heaven or on earth than love. That's the understanding of the resurrection I like the most. Or to put it another way, the resurrection is an insurrection. What does that mean? Well, it means that the resurrection was an insurrection against the evil and unjust systems of Jesus's first century world and still is today and ours. It's kind of funny when you think about it, but the resurrection was actually illegal. It was against the law. We're told that the Jerusalem religious leaders went to Pontius Pilate after Jesus died and said to him that they were concerned his disciples would steal the body from the tomb and fake his resurrection in order to gain fame or support. And Pilate agreed with the Jerusalem religious authorities that, yeah, that's a problem. Let's, let's avoid that. And so Pilate had some guards stand outside the tomb, and he had his official seal, like a wax seal, put on the stone itself in order to communicate this stone is not to be touched by order of the Roman governor of the region. And yet, as the story goes, we're told on Easter morning, an angel showed up and rolled the stone away. A clear violation of Pontius Pilate's decree. And therefore, an illegal act, an act of civil disobedience. The resurrection was illegal. It was an act of insurrection against an evil and unjust empire. It was an insurrectionary act against an oppressive and unjust empire and it still is today. To affirm the resurrection, in my opinion, 
is to believe in a kind of insurrectionary power, the power of civil disobedience, the power of resisting evil and unjust systems that oppress and harm people for their race, religion, gender, class, et cetera, et cetera. Anytime we stand against such oppressive powers in our world, we are affirming the resurrection of Christ. And anytime we refuse to do that and stand instead um, in solidarity with the powers that be, the oppressive forces of our world, we are denying the resurrection. This is what I think it means to believe or not believe in the resurrection, which obviously makes it more about how we actually live rather than ideas we, we hold in our head about the supernatural or the afterlife. What we believe about the resurrection lives in our actions and how we live in relationship to each other, and especially how we live in relationship to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the outcasts, to the oppressed. That's ironic. I, I think people actually find it easier to believe that the dead can be raised then we could actually live in a world substantively different than this one, a world that is substantively more just and loving and equitable than this one. A popular blogger named Martha Kelly said this, under capitalism, it's normal to let children go hungry, let people go bankrupt from medical bills, let sick people die for lack of access to health care. But the idea that billionaires could just be less rich, not poor, not, not struggling, just a little less rich, is considered insane or impossible. Again, I think people have an easier time believing that the dead can be raised then we could actually live in a world without, say, unfettered capitalism. That truly seems impossible to many people. Why is that? Kind of makes you wonder what people's real gods are and what their faith is really in. If man-made institutions and systems like capitalism are, are treated as impossible to change or to do away with, but the resurrection stands as an insurrection, against all such idolatry. The resurrection dares to say that another world is possible, a more just world, as impossible as that may seem to us. The resurrection says, no, that is possible. To embody today the liberating and life-giving values of the resurrection isn't just economic, but I think it also means standing up for LGBTQ rights, being anti-racist, being pro-woman, pro-immigrant, being on the side of the poor and the vulnerable as Christ was, who was born a slave and died a criminal. This is what I think it means to believe in his resurrection. This is how I discern the risen Christ. I'm reminded of the words of Dorothy Soleil, she was a 20th century Christian theologian who once said this, where there is solidarity, there is resurrection. When we break the neutrality of silence and abandon our complicity with injustice, 
the new life begins, end quote. You know, it's interesting. What seemed impossible to people living in first century Israel 2,000 years ago was not that someone, especially a divine being, could be raised from the dead or that God could perform miracles. No, gods back then were doing that stuff all the time. They lived in a world full of such gods. But what seemed impossible to them was that God, or, or the God in this case, would identify with the so-called nothings and nobodies of this world. The women, the Samaritans, the heretics, the poor, the sick, the infirmed, the, the tax collectors, and the sex workers. It seemed impossible to them that God would identify and prefer them more than the wealthy and the rich and the powerful and the priests and the Pharisees and the so-called high-born folks. And for this reason, I read the Gospels as a, as a discourse of the impossible. The Gospels are a discourse of the impossible. In other words, when I read about someone walking on water or the, the blind receiving sight or the deaf hearing or the lame walking or, or even the dead being raised to new life, I don't scoff. I don't, I don't scoff or respond with incredulity, but I take it all as a kind of poetics of the kingdom of God, a poetics of the impossible. And my heart soars with a desire for transformation, for justice, for renewal, for rebirth, for that which we pray and, and weep for, for love, for liberation, for the so-called impossible. This is how I answered the question, me personally. This is how I answered the question posed by the Emmaus Road story. What does it mean to rightly discern the resurrection? Who is the risen Christ to you? And part of the way I do that and the way this community does that every week is found here in the Lord's Supper. Here we find the crucified body of Christ, the corpse of God, if you will, here is the corpse of God scattered among us as bread and wine. We then remember his dismembered body by receiving these elements into ourselves. In just a moment, we're going to partake in this gluten-free cracker and grape juice, which of course symbolizes the scattered corpse of God, the broken body and shed blood of God. And we Remember his dismembered body, symbolically, spiritually, by receiving these elements into our bodies. The meaning for me is that we become the body of the risen Christ in the world. Christ is raised in us. Christ is resurrected in us in this holy sacrament. That's the meaning of it. We are temples of his spirit now. God has no body in the world but our body. We are the hands and feet of God, at least I hope, I pray. We are the hands and feet of God, the presence and power of his liberating and life-giving love, I hope, I pray. 
if we do not make God real by embodying him in the world, his audacious love, especially for the poor, especially for the downtrodden, then God ceases to exist in a meaningful way in our world. This to me is the deeper meaning of the Lord's Supper and the resurrection. And this table is open to all who wish to partake. And the way that we do this here at Central is we serve each other. You take a little cracker and you dip it in the juice, you receive it, and then you serve the person next to you. And we believe that this is symbolic of what, a, what it means to be the body of Christ. We bring God, we bring Christ to each other. Be blessed now in this. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. Um, here at Central, every week, um, we have a discussion after, at the end of service, where the floor becomes open and you can raise questions, make comments, disagree, <laughs> uh, anything uh, regarding my talk today. Um, and so, just being Easter Sunday, it's no exception. This is part of our liturgy, part of our weekly practice. So if you have a question or a comment about anything I talked about, you can go ahead and, and raise your hand and I'll bring the mic to you. <clears throat> this is recorded the entire talk and then this dialogue is recorded on the podcast. So that's why we want to encourage people to use the mic. And if you're joining us via Zoom, my understanding is you can just unmute if you have a question or a comment, um, you can engage that way. But anybody this morning, have a, have a question or a comment about the music too, if you want to talk about that, that's cool. But yeah, anybody. Maybe a good discussion question would be, what does the resurrection mean to you? I told you what it means to me. What does it mean to you? It has a variety of different meanings. Maybe how has your understanding maybe changed over the years? What moves you about it? Anybody? If nobody else speaks, I'm gently coming down from the heavens. <laughs> hi, uh, yeah. hi, Karen. I recognize your voice. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Yes, hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Um, so it moved me what you said. Uh, again, you have this very unique angle of interpreting um, scripture, which is really refreshing. I also really was sparked by this song that was just so incredibly unusual. And I celebrate um, this song with, with everyone who needs to hear this, who suffers because they don't feel like they belong anywhere in the church, but you made um, just uh, room for this. Um, so I, my concern, like I was thinking in my heart, like I am so driven to be nice to people, like nice meaning um, talking from my heart to other people's hearts and I'm so often met with disbelief and um, almost like people think that, that I'm mocking them or something. And, and that's hard to see that even when I mean so well and not only mean well to tell them what to do, not that way, but um, 
really uh, not only seeing the good in them, but encouraging the good in people and it's not perceived. Do you have something that to me sometimes like this morning, I thought, I don't know how much good that is to be so kind, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a problem that I wake up with in the morning and I'm kind of disheartened sometimes to keep going, talking about compassion and being compassionate and showing compassion. And sometimes it feels so real. And sometimes it feels like it doesn't do anything like, and maybe it does more in the unseen than I can imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. But it sounds like you remain inspired somehow. <laughs> you keep working. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Emily, you had your hand up. Um, kind of along those same lines, I think when I, I feel such a defense when like, okay, it, being a social justice warrior is sort of like our job as Christians, right? Like, <laughs> For lack of a better term, right? sure. I mean, that's sort of what we're supposed to do. Um, but I think what I forget is um, in my defense of that, I end up only being defensive and I don't do the self-care part um, that... I think is necessary for all of us in deconstruction and reconstruction, because during my deconstruction, I've just been very defensive. And I, and I find myself every time you're talking of a point, um, I just am thinking like, what can I put on Facebook to say to these people that they'll get it? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a constant thing. And I'm, it's hard because I really should be what I, what I got today was, I just should be loving them. Period. And that's wonderful. And that can be radical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Because they aren't doing that yeah. a lot of the times, you know? Yeah. We got to be careful. And I think it was Nietzsche who said, be careful when fighting monsters that you don't become a monster yourself. Yeah. yeah. Lean into love, trust, trust, love, compassion. But, you know, part of love means being direct. And, you know, naming evil and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody else. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, Louise. Uh, yeah, I interpreted um, the resurrection Easter very differently today, which is great because I've always- say, had, say that again? I interpreted Easter and the resurrection a lot differently today. And I've always had a hard time connecting with this holiday, with this day. And this may seem odd to a lot of people, but I felt like when we were singing that song that we were- kind of at a funeral uh, for Christ. And, you know, we were celebrating that love conquers all. And now that maybe I, I'm not sure if he truly resurrected, but I know symbolism is so strong in the Bible. So yes, he may, his physical body may pass, but love conquers all. And now we may be like God and resurrect and rise and go against, you know, the symbol like Roman, the, the, the government or like these fake uh, religious people or whatever, you know what I mean? Like we are God now, we resurrect, love conquers all. And, and I, I don't know, that thing just really resonated with me today. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for that comment. Anybody else? Yeah, Leanne. 
Um, the road to Emmaus is one of my favorite stories in all of the like gospels. Um, I think just one moment that connects to your question is I love the moment where he's this total stranger walking with the disciples. Maybe he's hasn't bathed in a while. Um, and he, they don't know him and he's like, what's happening in Jerusalem? I know nothing. And they're like this thing. And then I love the detail that he's kind of walking away. Like he's like going out, he's leaving. And they say, Hey, it's turning dark. Like, do you want to come back with us and have dinner or stay over or whatever? Like it's their moment of like Christ-like care and concern that allows for them to see who he is. Like they are the hands and feet of Christ in that moment, because how many times would you be like, all right, like smelly stranger, like, bye, <laughs> like, don't need to invite you to my house. Don't need to like break bread with you. Don't need to see you ever again. Like I have no reason to care about you at all, but because they have that moment, they see Christ in him. I had never seen that angle before. That's really good. You're right. It was their hospitality. And we forget, actually, hospitality was a really big deal in the ancient world. Like that was a demonstration of God's love. And that's what kind of opened their eyes. Yeah. Look, it's, it, the symbolism is rich, but the meaning is, you know, yeah, it's symbolism, but the meaning is literal. This is how we're literally to live. <laughs> this is how we literally experience God's presence these acts of hospitality and love and openness, especially for the stranger. Christ came as a stranger. He was a, they didn't know who he was. He was just a stranger. You don't know what's going to happen when you welcome a stranger into your home. You're, you're taking a risk. It's powerful. Thank you, Leanne. Yeah, good stuff. Somebody else. Um, yeah, let's go uh, Dorian and then Marsha. Or I'll pass it over. Let me zoom Thank you. Uh, so I've had a, a long journey in uh, in the church and with religion and everything like that. And hold the mic up a little higher, would you? Oh, sorry, no I've worries. had a long journey in the church and in religion um, throughout my life. Um, I was raised in it, and uh, it eventually, when my parents split up, it became a sanctuary more so because of the community of people, right? And uh, and also this 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 thought of um, there was there was a moralistic compass that I felt like was guiding me when I needed guidance, right? Um, with that also came like suppression and things like that that I wasn't like you know conscious of at the time. Um, but they always want the mic, <laughs> um, and and then I embodied it um, for my own self after a while, right? Uh, as an adult and everything like that, but, uh, um, and then I finally got to a point where I finally felt the freedom to kind of let go of this expectation of salvation and, and, you know, and salvation and, you know, and uh, sorry, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> uh, salvation and and you know and hell and 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 you know what we're supposed to be to each other and the expectations that we put on ourselves and as a church and as a community and all this stuff. And I finally felt liberated from that. 
and now Christianity for me is no longer a religion. It's not a, it, it's a romantic idea that I've fallen in love with. I don't, I don't believe, I don't necessarily believe in the expectation of God or a deity or anything like that, you know? So I, I've essentially just, it's become a tradition that was part of my history and now is part of my future in a way where it's something that I can uphold within my life and that is valuable and meaningful in a way where I no longer have to, it no longer has to burden me with the expectation of what I should be. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, let's, let's hear from Marsha real quick. I think that today, one of the things that made me think with the story is that there's so much mystery and because of faith, we trust it. And so in that story you shared with us, you truly... Is that a phone over? Oh, it's not my phone. Good, good. It's cool. So I think in the story today, it just is so meaningful that that he rose because that leads all of us into thoughts beyond us, into the universe above us. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Great thoughts, everybody. Um, anybody else have something they want to share? Yeah. Oh, hello back there. Sometimes the lights make it so I can't see. <laughs> Here you are. Welcome. Yeah. Hi, this is my first time here. <laughs> I'm Brittany. This is Sam. Um, uh, so I just wanted to say that it was a really refreshing message because um, I kind of similar to probably a lot of people here. Like I grew up in the church. I grew up in kind of like your classic evangelical church. Um, I went to Wheaton College, which is like, as many of you know, probably a very intense evangelical school. And as I grew up, I felt like my faith was aligning me with people that didn't align with the values that I had and that I feel like Christ had. And I was like, what is, what is this community? Like, this isn't what I want. This isn't actually the values that I share. Um, and in reflecting on like prior Easter's that, you know, kind of how we've thought about the resurrection is very self-centered. Like, you know, I am a sinner and this was for me so that I can be a good person and go to heaven. And it was very, very, and like, not, there never felt like the evangelical church felt like, here's a checklist of things to do for you to be a good person and for you to go to heaven. And it was all about you. And even though like most of the Bible and like everything you talked about is about Christ reaching out to others. And I think more of what I felt like I resonated with. And so um, it was very refreshing to feel like this is a call to action, not just about you and, you know, yourself being saved, because I felt like there were so many times where it was like, well, I'm good. So, you know, like, and you're not good. So I'm going to judge you. So I feel better about myself and I'm never, it's easier to be that way. Like it's easier to, it's easier to like be black and white and to think like, oh, I'm meeting the checklist. So I'm fine. And to like step out of your box and try to answer hard questions or put yourself in discomfort. Like I love what um, the singer said, sorry, I missed his name about sitting in discomfort. People hate doing that. 
And most of life is uncomfortable. Like you have to get used to sitting in discomfort. And I think people sometimes use religion to like get away from that. If it doesn't meet the black and white, they don't like gray and like life is gray. Um, so I just really appreciate that as a refreshing message and like, you know, outside of us centered, not self-centered. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing part of your story too. Certainly one that a lot of us here resonate with and, and share. Well, let's conclude our time together. Um, and let's do so as we always do by, by coming together with this benediction and, um, we like to end our, our services each week um, by saying this together as sort of a, a charge. Here we go. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for being here. Go in peace. Thank you.